0: Today's episode of Uncommon Deeds is brought to you by Barry Tile and Morrison Clark, Central Vermont. Stop for all types of flooring for your home or business on the South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont. 802-476-0912. Celebrating 50 years in business. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service, Vermont's number one dealer for Briggs & Stratton Generators. Two locations in Springfield and Brookfield, 802-591-1903 or bushysgenerator.com. We keep your power on. And Elite Designs, logos, graphics, signage, motorsports, and more. Ooh. Call Bobby Therian at 802-355-7735 or visit Elite Designs on Facebook. Take your vision and make it a reality with Elite Designs.
1: Yeah. I'm Justin St. Louis. And I'm Tom Corbett. This is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome, everybody, I got to episode six, zero, man, 60. In the books It's Whoa. five dozen Yeah <laughs> that blow your mind? <laughs> I used to be really good at my multiplications on, <laughs> It took me a second Oh, oh, oh yeah, five times twelve Okay mm-hmm. Just double checking the math in my head It takes me longer than it used to Just saying Advanced math At Woodbury Elementary School from like At
0: Woodbury elementary.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they had like, advanced math in the elementary school. Yeah. From like first grade through sixth grade. Wow. And then I almost failed math in seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Was it the same
0: advanced math class every year? The same. Just, you learned there was the like, same thing five
1: times. Here's the thing. Woodbury elementary is a small school. So our whole class is like 10 or 12 people Mm -hmm. all in you're all the same people for six years or whatever it is. But yeah, there was like three of us that were in the advanced class because the regular math was a little too easy. I remember they had us teach the other kids fractions like sixth grade or fifth Hmm. grade or whatever it was. no child labor laws in Woodbury. No, you know, Shout out to my fellow Bears. Wow, go Bears. I live next
0: door to the Bridport Elementary School. I know exactly what you're talking about. Evelyn will be one of nine in her kindergarten class this yeah. August or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, that's where that's where I cut my basketball chops in the Woodbury Caffegematorium. Huh? Say it again. The Caffegematorium. Cafe Cafeteria by day. Gymnasium by night. Auditorium for music class. Wow.
0: Special events only.
1: Uh, I miss those days. Simpler times, my friend. Yes, indeed. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. uh, That has nothing to do with today's episode, I don't think. I don't think so, but... But if you picked up on it, and we uh, laid some not-so-subtle hints this week about today's episode that we wanted to do something different, and Justin and I have talked about it, and especially Justin has wanted to do this for a while, is emphasizing some of these episodes on the underdogs, the journeymen. You know, for every Jason Corliss we talk about and talk to, that's great. And there's a great story there, but there's, you know, 17 other drivers that line up every single week, whose name isn't Jason Corliss, who have great stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And this
0: guy has done it for, uh, 45 years or so, uh, since the late seventies at Catamount, uh, Blair Bissett has just not been a star. I mean, and he's fine with that. Uh, he wants to be out there racing a race car, and if he wins, that's amazing. And if he qualifies, that's amazing. And he's happy with either one. Um, you know, those guys are the the reason why there are competitive fields. Those are the those are the the stories that you have to learn about. You those are the stories that keep the sport alive
1: and those and guys not to cut you off but those guys are the majority absolutely. the superstars are the minority
0: that's 100 percent correct that's exactly what i was going to say and you know ricky roberts is a grinder and listen he won races 25 years ago um but things haven't You know, he's not a star and he, he's won more recently than that as well, obviously. But, you know, uh, give me another one. Scruffy. Scruffy Lenardi. Jimbo. Is he ever going to win a race?
1: Not on, not on the American Canadian tour. And by Um, the way, he is also someone when we initially thought of this podcast that was on our list. He's still
0: very high on the list. Um, but I think we're going to have to go to Boston and we're going to have to sit down with Jimbo and eat some KM hot dogs and just shoot the shit with him because I don't think we could keep up with him via Zoom. <laughs> he is...
1: You man. had me at hot dogs.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I love Blair Bissett's story and there are, like you said, there are more stories like this than there are stories like... Robbie Crouch, Nick sweet, Jason Corliss, junior Hanley, you know, you, you can name the stars, but there's one winner and, you know, 27 losers. And let's, let's talk to the, the people who aren't winning. Let's talk to the guys who struggle, the guys who show up quite literally alone with no help. And as you'll hear from Blair, no radios, um, they're the ones second
1: straight week of
0: of racers <laughs> with no radios. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. For very different reasons.
1: Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, yeah. That was a good conversation that you're about to hear and like Justin said, they're the majority and to be quite honest, some of those stories about struggling about the journey of trying to get a win or two wins to be quite honest, is a more entertaining conversation to us than, Hey, tell us about the sixth win you had in this year.
0: Think about, um, you know, we just had Vince Quinville on a few weeks ago, right? And it took him what, four, four or five years to win a race and that's following in the footsteps of a very highly, you know, uh visible father who won all kinds of races and had all this pressure on his shoulders. And it took forever of, you know, him to struggle and to grind and to learn and to bang mm-hmm. his knuckles and break stuff and crash and just try and scrape enough cash together to get to the next race. And, and that's Blair a hundred percent, you know, that's, that's Ricky Roberts right now. That's Jerry Lesage. That's Dave LeBreck. That's Milt Wright. That's, you know, all, all of the, the drivers who support the race and want to be in the race, no matter what it is, where it is, what it pays, or if they have a chance. Um, and that's what you have to love about this sport. That's what, that's what keeps it going.
1: Well said, my friend. Mm. As we get ready to roll this episode for you, keep in mind, merchandise is for sale. Oh, yeah. T-shirts and hats. Some of our sizes are getting lower. Some of our hats are getting lower. We have two different hats. Different hat styles, the all-black flex fits and the black and gray snapbacks Then, of course, the T-shirts, we have the OGs, as Justin affectionately calls them, all black with the white logo. Medium, large, extra large, 2X, 3X. The 2Xs and 3Xs are getting low, but we do still have some of all of those sizes. So all you got to do, get at us on the socials. Facebook is super easy for us. Uh, It's $25 for a shirt. And that includes shipping, $35 for a hat includes shipping. Or if you want to get the set, that is just $50 to get you through and ready to go looking sharp for race season. Fresh, fresh threads. Without further ado, let's go ahead and let Justin make today's introduction.
0: We have made a grave error on this podcast going on 60 episodes now. And that is to not have had a guest of this caliber. Um, And I mean that in the most respectful way. This is a guy who will not be in the record books. This is a guy who has not been flashy. This is a guy who has been grinding his entire career and has had honestly very little to show for it, but by God he's been there and he is the heart and soul of what makes short track stock car racing so great. And it is our pleasure and our honor to welcome Blair Bissett to Uncommon Deeds. Man, it's been it's been seriously a mistake for us to not have you or somebody in your group on this show so far. So thank you for being the first one.
2: Hey, I'm first at something.
0: <laughs> no, you were first at something uh, at least once. I saw it I myself. It we'll talk about that.
2: I did it, do I did do it one time. But <laughs> thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys reaching out and and having this opportunity to to speak to you guys. Yeah, man. When do you remember motorsports coming into your life? Um. Well, I did think about it a little bit when Justin reached out to me. I mean, I uh, my my mom. Actually, um, we lived in Barry and we went to Thunder road and I was, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. And, um, she actually tiny Lund was biggest reason I started following racing and he literally came to our apartment and I visited with him and I had gone to, uh, actually, Catamount Stadium. Um, My great-grandmother lived over near Catamount, and uh, I could hear the cars um, in the background on the Sundays, and I think that was around 1972, and so I worked my way over and started to go to the races and, you know, was a, a fan, and the only reason I mentioned that is because I, I was a cabana fan and I had made a model um, of cabana and I had it up on the, the fridge. And when tiny came in, he came and I remember him asking about the, uh, what do you got a cabana car up there? How come you don't have his car up there? And uh, so I kind of always felt a little bad about that. So I realize I have changed my number a lot <laughs> over the years, but there always has been a connection to the 55 number and um and tiny lund because i met him i knew him he came and visited me and um
0: why 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 was tiny lund in your apartment well
2: That's what he kind of dated my mom i mean you know he literally uh they went out when he came to town when he was up there and so I, I mean, that's, that was my connection to tiny month. I mean, what? He, he gave me a t-shirt and you know, I always wanted a baby blue number 55 and there's a few incidences where you'll see that car up there and it has actually a 55 TL on it. The first, the first car I had was a grand American car and there was a car owner, but I couldn't run 55 because he wanted to run his number. And that was number 61. Um, his name was Jim Van Arsdale. Um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I always wanted to run 55. And if you you remember the, the crash that Beaver had in 87 when Catamount closed? Absolutely. If that picture was it's flipping that it ended up being in the in the free press, there's a car driving under him. And that was me, and if you look at it, it's fifty-five baby blue TL. Yes, and a lot of people think it was Dave Lebrecht because he had run that number at one time. Um, but you know, at any rate, I'm kind of drifting around a little bit. But you know, there's always been that connection to fifty-five. I always wanted to run number fifty-five, and in 1981, I we actually I bought Bobby Dragon's late model. I don't know if you remember that. Nova with the Honda on the sides. Yeah. yeah. Um, I bought it without the motor, but that was 1981. I went to to five races, um didn't qualify but for one. And um I ran 55 on that car when I went. And another guy named Jocelyn trombley I don't know if you remember his name. Yes. He ran 55 as well, and at the time they had to decide who could run 55 the following year. And they ended up going with Jocelyn Trombley. But so I, I ran, I couldn't run 55. So I ran, um, God, I don't remember what I ran now. Ninety five. I, I found 95, right? 95 was yeah. what I ran. Um, but it was a baby blue car when I finished seventh in that CRC 300 at, uh, you know, the at Catamount, which was, you know, an amazing feat. If you think about it, seventh place when I was, you know, at the time it was young, 21 years old. Um, but but anyway, I've always had that connection to the 55. God, that is amazing, you know, Blair. Um
1: nowadays and, there would just be like six different 55s all on the track at the same time.
2: Well, you know what? I <laughs> yeah. plan I don't know if you noticed the program last year. I had 55. Um I was in the program because I but I ended up never running, but I had 55 and I plan on running 55 this year. Um, let's
0: let's go back before you're in the late model. What was what was the Grand American division like? I mean, well, everybody was running second to Richard Bootsy. I know that, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know that was a pretty cool looking division. A lot of V six cars. Um, you know, Larry Karen and uh, guys like that were really the stars of the day.
2: Yeah, actually, the motors were the GM six cylinder inline sixes.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. They yeah.
2: were they were uh, the two fifties. And the person I met was Jim Van Arzell. I, <laughs> I got a job at the Barry Country Club. It was my first job ever. Um, literally hitchhiked up my freshman year because I didn't have my license yet. And I'd walk by this house that had a Pontiac Firebird um, on a truck. and he had, And I ended up getting that car from him. I think we paid $700 for the car, the truck, and the motor, but the motor was actually a a half a V8 Pontiac four-cylinder engine. and um, The Iron Duke? I don't know if that's what they called it, but it was literally, I mean, it had 455 Super Duty head on it. it. had huge valves. I mean, it made 200 horsepower, but it was literally half a V8. Huh. And so I got to run that motor and that six cylinder division and, you know, it actually worked pretty well. I actually had um, a a top 10 in it. In fact, Tommy Calamaris, I can't pronounce his name very well, still owes me money for that race.
0: um, (laughs) You and Stub Fadden and everybody else. (laughs) Right.
2: But, you know, so I I, I, I was into racing because my, you know, the connection with Tiny Lund and Actually, my sister really liked Joey Karafis. and So anyway, my mom ended up marrying a man who was crude on Ronnie Marvin's car. Um, and we went to the the first Oxford 250 when it was the Oxford 200 and Joey Karafis won. I think that yeah, was around 74, but I went as a kid, as a fan. So I had this racing piece here. And then when I was able to, you know, get my hands on a car, um, through Jim Van Arsdale, um, we were able to, uh, I was able to start and we didn't even tow it. I mean, we used a stiff hitch, <laughs> you know, and, and the guys that I raced against then were Richard Bootsy, Jay Yance, Red Mead, um, Joe Myers. Do you recognize that maybe? Sure. Yeah. Yep. You know, it was all, and I had technically a unibody Camaro with a cage in it, right? It didn't have a frame in it. And Richard Bootsy had a like a how chassis, you know, and there was a guy named Brother Eastman, too. I remember he yes. he, uh, he ran in that division. So I ran that division for um, a couple of years. And, and then I actually went to VTC and I built a chassis that I incorporated into that car. Um, And I think I sold it to Rick Barton. And I think he ran it for a few years when they resurrected the Flying Tigers after that. Because at the time, I wanted to get my mechanical engineering degree. I wanted to go, you know, I wanted to be a race car driver. That's all I really wanted to do. And then the division got cut out. We went through the Tommy Calamorous thing. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have you know, gone to the tiger ranks, but it was like, I had really bigger aspirations. I wanted to literally go down South and race. And, um, but anyway, I, I ended up actually leaving college when I probably shouldn't have, um, and bought that car from Bobby dragon. Um, and like I said, I ran it the first five races, in 1981. And I only qualified for one and that race got rained out before the green. And I ended up for some, something happened with Jamie Obie's car in that race. So I ended up letting Jamie start the car because he was in the points and, you know, the connections to people, you know, I wasn't really that knowledgeable and all, all the, you know what to do to a car. You know, not like today. I mean, I I know how to set up a car now, but back then it was it was. Um, in fact, I remember buying a set of tires from Steve Pool, and I remember driving up to North Troy, and I go, "Mark those because I want them." Ex- I, mean, I was going to put them back on the same location as he had, just so I had the right stagger, just so I had the information. I didn't so. Um, but anyway, I, I was able to put together the late model. It wasn't until 82 that I ran for Rookie of the Year. And that, that year, I believe, I think Wes Rosner won it. It was Barney was second, and then I was third. And I remember kind of beating out, uh, I think it was Bobby Babb. But, but with this, you know, not very good car. I mean, it was a good car. But it was, you know, way lacking on the motor. You know, they had H and E engines, and I had a, you know, a, pretty much a stock 350. And I uh, tried to compete with them. And one could say that seventh place finish was the the best or worst thing. It kept me in it enough to, like, okay, I want I want to do this. And um, so th- that year. I think I went to like nine or 10 races, but, you know, I'd finish around 15th or so. Um, but I, I think I got the most out of the equipment. That's when I was, Barney and I were pretty tight at that time. And, um, he had a guy named, uh, I'm trying to blank on this, but it was custom corner. He owned the car. Well anyway, <laughs> I'm kind of rambling on a little bit. I it's kind of minute details, but um, no, this could details. turn into one of your two hour
0: shows. The details matter. The details <laughs> matter. Yeah.
2: But it was it was fun. I mean, I always was into racing. I literally quit college to go. And then there was a night at Catamount and that my son, my wife went into labor. <laughs> and they literally blacked. And I'm thinking, why? What did I do? They were stopping me because they were telling me my wife was in labor. <laughs> what are you a
0: doctor? What are you gonna?
2: <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> and I think I was running pretty good at that time. So I do want to back up a little bit. I the you know so I went to those five races in '81. Technically, wasn't in any. So the first race that I was in was down at Waterford, Connecticut, and I remember it was the same race that randy it was randy lejoy's first race as well i believe okay. he was in ca's car um and i and the car was competitive i mean i it was it was a good car i just didn't have the motor and you know it just was the bug and it's what i wanted to do and you know and then ended up having a kiddo and i did have one in 1984 i bought uh, it was, um, it was a Levitt car. In fact, it, the history of it, it was Robbie Crouch's car before that, but it's the car that the left side weight rule oh. was implemented for because it was, you know, way ahead of its time. It, it was, was like a 70%. Opinion, yeah. Yeah. You know, wide fives, <laughs> you know, all the, actually it's not all that unsimilar than the cars that we have today. Yeah. And I really thought that was going to be, you know, the ticket for me. And, you know, I was doing it all by myself. So my stepdad knew Jim Gallison, senior, um, and he offered to help me with the car. Like he'd crew the car, he'd prepare the car, I'd just, and I'd drive it. And that really only worked out about once or twice. And then um, I ended up losing the car to him. Um, whoa, but, um, I ended up getting it back, but I it was at the end of the year, and it cost me some some money
0: let hold on let's let's unpack that in a minute. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right, that's all right.
1: No, I was yep. gonna say, and you kind of started to hit on it there, that you mentioned not having a lot of experience and not knowing how to set up a car. Did you not have a lot of people also helping you out at the racetrack where you kind of left your own devices?
2: I was on my own pretty much. I mean, I'd have, you know, friends or volunteers, sometimes people that just showed up at the track. I mean, I've, I've, I've pretty much been a lone wolf my, my whole career, but um, it never bothered me though. I mean, I, I don't mind doing that. I, 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 I enjoy preparing the car and I learned a lot. You know, I, I know how to, I built all my engines. I painted all my cars. You know, I set up the cars and through the years I had different people that helped me. Um, I even had some, actually a little bit of help from, uh, oh, he was a Lieutenant governor. He helped now, this is harder when you interview me when I'm older. I don't remember the, the name. But over the years, I had actually some good opportunities. And, and uh, I only mentioned the early years there, the 82, 83. That's when I, okay, I, I wanted to try to do it. I got that new car, that Levitt car. And I thought that was going to be the ticket. But when it didn't work out, I had a young son. I decided to go back to college. So I sold the car. To Chuck Beatty, and uh, you know I, I but for some reason I always had to have a car so I ended up buying an older car from Barney had one sitting there and I'd run every year at least one race um, like yeah 85 86 87 and then uh, after I got out of school I got recruited to uh, a company down in Nashua New Hampshire Lockheed corporate I was part of Lockheed sure and there was a couple guys there that were into racing and I, I teamed up with them and that's when I did that, um, the Karen's climb, um, cystic yeah. fibrosis thing. Cause yeah. One of the persons that was involved, it was her, his uncle that, that did that. So, so
0: that was, that was a great program. And I, I do want to talk about it. Um, but I want to, I want to go back to what Tom was saying, you know, so you're alone and you're traveling to Mont Laurier <laughs> and you're traveling <laughs> okay. to Thompson, Connecticut, and you're, you know, you're on your own. And listen, I'm not knocking it because I did that too. But from your perspective, why? Like I, I remember being a 19 year old kid and towing to Oxford plane speedway with my four cylinder because I just wanted to be there. Um yeah. I had no help and I had no idea what I was doing. Is is that, was that your drive? Was that the reason you're doing it? Or were you, were you thinking, Hey, I'm actually going to become something out of this.
2: The, the goal really in the back of my mind was always, I was going to make it. I remember being in meetings with Curly and he said, he looks out in the stands and he goes, two of you are going to make it, you know, out of them. And, as it turns out, he was right. It was kind of Kevin LePage and Ricky Craven. But that was my goal. I remember towing to Stafford Springs, Connecticut with my truck, which was a dually, but it had these two ramps on it and it used more oil than it did gas. I mean, it literally smoked, <laughs> but I got there and there's pictures out there of me at the track and with other competitors and um you know, I was able to race. So I always was involved in it, but I was also balancing taking care of my wife and, and three kids. I ended up having three kiddos, by the not that much longer after that. And, How old are you with all this? Well, in, I went back to school to Champlain College in 84. And that's when I kind of, Gave, I mean, I got a really good car. I got that Levitt car, um, Rick Ganyu. Uh, I mean, I had some good ex- people and experience that that wanted to help me. I, I always lacked the motor, but, uh, you know, I had a good car. But when that happened with Gallison, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I got a family. I got to go. So it just sort of stayed on the slow burner until 1988, when I actually got a decent car, a fairly decent car. Um, I I got it. It was the actually it was Jeff Hansen's car, the one that um, Jamie had that bad, bad crash with. Yeah, at Beatridge Yeah, yeah. It was, I literally got that car after it got crashed because he didn't want to race anymore after that. Really, yeah. um, and then. I think I finished 12th at beach Ridge with that car in the end of 88. I won my first heat race with that car. And that's what spawned me into in 89 going to those people that I worked with for the Karen's climb 65 roses, which is how kids pronounce cystic fibrosis. They can't say it. So they, the theme is 65 roses. So that was, you know, a good car. And I, I remember, uh, I had a, I always would have a top 10 if I ran like 89, 90, 91. I didn't race in 1990, but I'd always have a top 10, whatever. And I went and I finished top 20 in points that those years In 89, I, I finished 13th in the points. I got the STP most improved driver award, um, and I remember, I mean, I beat Ricky Craven in the points that year. Yeah. I mean, and I stayed with, that was what, you know, Ricky went to to NASCAR because that was his goal. That was his focus. And he was very good at that. And, you know, I admire and respect him immensely. But 90, he, you know, you, you he had a great car. He had that EJP stuff. He had the technology of the ACT cars in a, and you were able to run them in the bush cars. And I, and I think it was enough long enough to get them there. And obviously you had the talent and stuff to go further. Is it hard? It was always like, that's what I wanted to do. I was like, dang, he's there. That's what I want to do. And um, so that's, that's what I tried to do. You know, I, I always gave whatever I had, And, you know, a a top 10 for me was like a win, right? Absolutely. I remember, you know, at Plattsburgh getting on the inside of Roger Lapearle for eighth place. And it was a win (laughs) because it was a hard fought finish, you know, and then I'd have glimpses of stuff. You know, I think I remember uh, and I ran a bunch of different cars because I was – always trying. I mean, I always would put whatever deal I could together and uh, do the best I can with what I got. And I think I got a lot out of the equipment.
1: Um, But is it hard knowing every week as you pull into the track that you don't have what the top guys have?
2: Part of me is struggles with that. But another part of me is also like, but if I can run with them, then who's the real winner there, right? They have all this and I have this, but I, but I can run with them or sometimes beat them. That was always very satisfying. In fact, there was times, a couple a couple times when I had a real good car, I drove that Bill Griffin black Oh seven, a few times, and that was as good as it could get at the time in our group. And, you know, the expectations were high and, that was my real opportunity. I had, you know, we, we qualified fourth fastest at the milk bowl with that. Um, I remember Moody coming over the announcing and saying, well, Blair Bassett might win this race because, you know, that was the time when the first time winners was at the milk bowl, because you didn't necessarily have to win the actual yeah. race. You won yeah. each segment. And just for him to stay that, say that, it always stuck with me. Blair,
0: you know, you're – again, like what Tom was saying, you you don't have the stuff that Junior Hanley's got. You don't have the stuff that Robbie Crouch has or Kevin LePage or Dave Dion or Russ Erlin or whatever. But you're on par um, with Matt Basowski. You're on par with um, Dave Lebrec. You mentioned Dave Lebrec, Bob Ailes, you know, the the real – the nitty-gritty guys. Uh, Barney for several years – was was out back and then he had a couple of good years so is it a race within a race i mean are you guys are you guys a group do you guys hang out with each other and help each other and you know knowing that you're not going to get a top five but maybe we could get a a 11th or something and i want to beat this group of guys is i mean is that the motivation or is it a motivation
2: i think you hit on that it is a race within a race. I mean, that was a lot of times how Curly set things up. There was that new champion program that they had and, um, you know, just qualifying is, was an effort at times as well. Um, But you mentioned junior Hanley. I mean, I remember I parked next to him once at uh, it was unity around probably 90, Two ninety three, but anyway, he, you know, I would run used tires, right? I didn't even buy new tires. Um, sometimes I'd buy new rights, but it wasn't like today where you had to buy the tires. But, um, but also back then with the GM Motorsports, you could make four or five hundred dollars just to go to a race. So if you didn't crash the car, you're paying for stuff. But anyway, I, I parked next to uh, um, Hanley. And he had a, ended up having a hole in his tire that needed, that he was going to throw away, but it was a brand new tire. So I plugged it and put it on the car and I ended up going out and beating him in that race. Um, He never gave me another tire, but, you know, I, in fact, I had a real, that was probably the best race I had. I remember starting, I don't know, mid pack and I worked my way up to third place. And uh, we ended up putting a lap on Hanley, which is the only reason I beat him was because the leaders actually lapped him, And then he got stuck a lap down, but um, Derek Lynch and I kind of got together and bent my pan, our bar right at the end, but I dropped back to eighth place, which was the last car on the lead lap. And then Hanley finished ninth. Um, but you know, people, there's lots and lots of people that have helped me out. I mean, I, I kind of feel sorry for some of the people I park next to because I'm I'm kind of needy. You know, I mean, I I I just plug away at doing stuff. You know, it's there's so many things that have to be done. You know, like there's a tire guy and then there's somebody that has to get the fuel and then someone has to go get the lineups. And, you know, I'd have radios, but I didn't have any radio to give to anybody. <laughs> right right so i, I, I mean was thinking about else. that,
0: that <laughs> i i had a conversation with you and i'm jumping way ahead to what was it like a year or two ago you ran steve fisher's car with a milk bowl. yeah and i was like looking around and, and you're alone you're running tires and I, I said blair what are you doing you should be getting in the car and you're like well somebody's got to change the <laughs> tires and i said okay so do you have do you have somebody up on the hill spotting for you and you're like no I said, well, who's your crew? And he said, you're looking at them. And I'm like,
2: and I had this the is the milk bowl, though. Blair. <laughs> but I had the best time. You know, I had the best I, view. I, and, I yeah. And the best thing about that is I ended up being in that race. Right. Um, I got to go out there and actually that was that's the last race I've been in since um, I think that was a milk bowl, at the end of nineteen. COVID kind of took me out in 20. I could have, I have a car now that I'm getting ready that I really wanted to race last year. And it kills me that I didn't go to the Milk Bowl last year because I'm kind of known just going to the Milk Bowl. Um, but anyway, I, I really don't mind. I, in fact, I enjoy whatever it takes to get there and to make, you know, make it happen. And, I kind of chug along. You don't see me rushing around. (laughs) You see me wheeling tires or going to get gas or all the things you got to do to go out and practice and do stuff. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity, right? I mean, I, I've been blessed to be out there. Um, you know, I can say I raced at Richmond, you know, I went to Richmond and, went around and around and had a great time. I mean, I, I uh, would have obviously liked to been more competitive, but there was a point in that race um, where we actually got the car and finally it was good. Um, We were off on the gear at the beginning and I actually had a crash in practice right at the end, but you know, I've been to Richmond. I went to New Smyrna and had a, a great time. You know, we, and actually ended up there having a really good car. I mean, I finished, you know, 15th on the lead lap, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, I remember looking up in my mirror that last race and seeing Austin behind me, Terrio in RPM car, the Ford, and he's not catching me. I go, what's wrong with him? You know, so I, I, I enjoy it. I love to hear the motor, turn over and start up and, you know, broom, <laughs> you know, I, I just love that feeling and it's what motivates me. And it's, and I'm not done yet. <laughs> I'm still planning on running. Um,
0: I and wish it'll probably be the
2: same thing with me and maybe a person that I catch driving to the racetrack.
0: I, I wish our listeners could see you as you say this um, because it's evident that you you're a kid still, like you are. You love this.
2: Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> there has been some talk that I haven't grown up yet. But um. well, I commend
1: the the mindset, and I feel like there's probably a lot of people who could take a lesson on that view of it and that mindset to do it. Especially, you know, knowing maybe you don't have the best stuff and just enjoying. Being there and getting to compete and trying to beat the guys that have the good stuff, you know, yeah. especially knowing that probably 90% of the people in the stands probably don't pick up on the fact that you have less equipment than those guys. And they're like, oh, that guy sucks when really you're doing a hell of a job for what you're bringing to the table. And they probably also don't know that you are without a spotter and you are changing the tires and you're fueling it up. And if you have to go in the pits, you're hopping out and doing it.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, you know, I'll, I'll set up with a crew next to me. If I have a flat, you know, here, it's ready, help me out. And I've I've had lots of help in those days. Um, but if you look back to just that I mentioned Richmond and new Smyrna, um, you know, when, uh, Who's the 14 guy? Number 14. He Clint Boyer. So he's there, right? They put him on the pole. I'm outside pole. Um, you know, so that didn't work out for me being on the outside. But I got to race against him. I ended up qualifying for that race. And I do remember also during the middle of that race, he I got underneath and I passed him. Cause he got stuck up on the outside and went underneath him, And then I don't think he was happy that I passed him. Cause then he starts to turn. He wanted to just, he tried to spin me out and he ended up spinning out himself in that race, except I was the one that got in trouble for it. <laughs> but anyway, he spun out trying to spin me out. So, you know, I've raced against Clint Boyer. I've-
0: I want to, I want to interrupt you on that point. Yeah. Did you ever feel like a scapegoat? Um, especially with Mr. Curley in the tower calling the races, because I I've been involved in the officiating of races before with Tom Curley calling the shots. And there are guys that he would pick on, Um, you know, Blair's in the way, or it doesn't matter. Clem, somebody like that, you know, they're three laps down and there's an incident that happens around you that you have nothing to do with, but they'll park you, you know, yeah. or, or something like that. Had, had that.
2: Well, that particular incident, I ended up getting. I don't
0: know. I'm not talking about, you know, any specific incident, but just something like that comes to mind.
2: Well, in general. Yeah. And I, and I want to mention that specific incident because I'm like, of course I want to do well against him. And, um, you know, I ended up getting the piggy flag, (laughs) you know, like, okay, well, you know, I was doing the best I could, but Tom and I had a love, hate Tom. Tom and I got along great. I mean, I think he really wanted me to be like a crew chief or potentially car owner, but I never would give up the, I always wanted to drive, right? The only thing that motivated me to work on a car the way I do is to have that drive afterwards, you know, that carrot. And um, it really, that's what motivates me. You know, I, I'll go out. I mean, I, this is kind of past my bedtime, but I get up four or five o'clock in the morning. I'm out in the shop working and that's my time. And, you know, I, it, it's what makes it work for me. So I, I love it. I mean, I love being out there. It's, and I've always had to do it against the grain, you know, you know, the, the talent I would say is average, you know, and, but I also had that aspiration. So if I can make a car competitive and, and run well, then, then I'm going to keep doing it. And you mentioned, I did, I did have one win, right. That I came across the the video of that. Actually not that long ago. And, um, you know, I, I got it done. You know, I went out, won my heat, led every lap, stunk up the show. And I did exactly what Curly didn't want me to do, right? He doesn't want a guy running away, winning a race. He wants the action back and forth. Um, I can't say I didn't get that until then, but I I get it now. And uh, you know, I, I, uh, I always played the game and I, and I also was really loyal to ACT and Um, You know, their program. I've never ever raced anywhere else. You know, I think I went to the Oktoberfest. (laughs) Talk about going alone. I went to Oktoberfest in, I don't know, 2011 or 12. It was in Ricky Roberts' car, it was the end of the season. I had a motor at the time. I put my motor in it and I literally towed down by myself and I stayed in the truck in the pits. <laughs> and during the middle of the night I got up to pee and I wasn't supposed to be in the pits. <laughs> so they made me leave the pits, unhook my truck and leave like the security guard. But I stayed there and I didn't put any tires on the car and I I ran pretty decent. It was like I ran 10th place pretty much all day and the tail the very last couple laps I fell back a couple spots and ended up 12th, but you know, again, I went, had fun, was out there, raced hard, worked hard, and was competitive with Wayne Helliwell and all the guys that were there running that race.
0: There were, before we move on to your late model years in the 90s, I do want to mention, you know, you had, like you said, you had about a top 10 a year on average uh, running. Hill pro stock tour. And there's one race that I would imagine you're fairly proud of at beach Ridge in 89. And this is with the 65 roses car. Mm -hmm. Um, and listen, I'm going to try and embarrass you here. You started 33rd and finished sixth on the lead lap and you beat junior Hanley.
2: I had forgotten that I beat junior Hanley. What I do remember is Dion leading the race and that shows you what a competitor he was. You know, um, he, I was about ready to get lapped by him. And then uh, a yellow came out, but he was, even though I was down almost a lap, he was all over, you know, just focused on the neck. It's always for him, the next car. I got to go buy that car, that car, this car, but yeah, that was a good run. And you know, that, that motivated me as well. I was in, um, that was a Dylan car that (laughs) it wasn't the one that Jamie crashed into the other car with, but it was a sister to it. It was, um, one that had a, um, an underslung front clip that was kind of experimental with a Ford, like modified rack on it. And we ended up, he crashed it, ended up cutting that off. And I got the front clip that came with the car before they put that one on. And I brought it to blinds and they put it on for me. And that was the car. I mean, that was, it was a, you know, a good car. I had a decent motor. Probably one of the stories I need to talk about too is um, I was actually, when Cabana retired, the guy that owned PP electric, I actually had the ride. I was going to take, I was going to go to uh, keep in mind, this was before Dudo and Phil Scott, but I went to, uh, I literally had, was going to go pick up their truck, trailer, car, and there was two motors, also motors. And this was around Daytona time before the season started. And I'm all in glee. I made the deal. I got the ride. So I go to the tour office and, and tell them how, you know, yeah, I got this ride. I got all this stuff. And I, was, and I made a deal to work on it um, at Phil's place where Dudo is now. That's why I mentioned Dudo. Um, in fact, I think they were angling for me to be Dudo's crew chief. Before that, or not Dudos, but Phil's crew chief. Um, but anyway, I made that deal and put it all together. And then, all is, you know, if a month goes by, and Curly put the kibosh to it. And that's when Andre Bowden got the car. You know, he ran it as number seven, the white number seven. Do you remember that?
0: I do. And um
2: So why, it, I why? didn't know that Curly put the kibosh to it at that time. But I just knew that I had the ride, went up, everything was all set, and then I lost, and then all of a sudden I lost the ride. So I was kind of like devastated. But do you,
0: do you know why that
2: happened? I do now, but I didn't know at the time. And I found out later that season um, because Curly had wrote a little note on the you know, the whiteboard in in this number seven's trailer that Cause he didn't have that very successful season with that car,
0: Andre Baudin. Yeah, you no,
2: know, I mean, right. I really like Andre and his dad. I mean, they I always raced with them as well. Um, but he, um, he goes, After all I've done for you, why you know, there was I it just made the connection for me that oh, Tom's the reason why I don't have that ride anymore. I think they were worried about going back and forth across the border, they had. Andre who had his dad and other people helping him I mean they just felt like that was a better fit and that was the year I ended up driving for Danny Beams yeah do you remember that car
0: which Andre Baldwin also drove that car
2: <laughs> before that yeah he drove yeah. it in that uh, I think up in Canada a few times I'm thinking of Toronto but but anyway so I <laughs> out of that deal and I think they felt guilty about taking the car away from me. They ended up giving me these um, super nice Brodex aluminum heads. And at the time I was pretty close with Robbie Patterson at ALSIP Racing and because I was always building in my own engines and stuff. So anyway, they gave me these beautiful heads that were probably $10,000 heads with, you know, huge valves and jessel rockers. And they just, it's what made, you know, a small block Chevy have, 550 horsepower with a 390 carburetor but anyway so i got those heads i put them on a short block that danny beams had put that car together and we go to to uh, lee the first race of the year and i finished 10th yeah right and so i'm 10th in points and i'm like of course i'm really motivated to beat the seven car because i don't have any more but Danny Beams, it was tough. I mean, very, you know, he had the big camper and it was rough around the edges and, but he had a decent car. He had a Dylan car at the time. Um, and you know, I made it the best I could. And, you know, so the reason I mentioned I finished 10th and I was 10th in points because the next race was Sanair and, uh, the top 10 got the, the good garage spots at Sun Air. there was this overhang with a garage and yeah. um yep. so I was in 10th I got the good spot and right next to me was Kevin LePage looking out <laughs> looking from the outside right because he hadn't he went, didn't finish in the top 10 for that race um but you know so I have to take those little instances victories those are my victories you know and i used to have at least one a year at that time if you look back at my records there's always a top 10 in the years that i in 89 80 um, 91 92 93 you know i I, and then i that's that's kind of what flowed into um you know, ACT was going away. I didn't run the last year of ACT that they ran the pro stock cars. I took my car and I was converting it into a, Th- a Thunder Olay model car because I kind of saw the vision because um, I wanted to run local. At the time, it was better for my family. And, you know, and that's when I finished third, right? I had a decent car and, and, I say two weeks in a row I almost finished fourth. One week I finished third and the other week I finished fifth, but they were both could have been fourth really easy. But anyway. Is it
1: <laughs> easy to maintain positivity in those moments when you think, hey, I'm going to have this great ride and I'm going to have these engines and all of this and you're excited, you know, like a kid on Christmas Eve like, ooh, I can't wait to get my presents the next day and then you wake up and it's Olympical.
2: Right. And that was, and I was getting older too, because I still had the aspirations of racing, like following Ricky Craven's footsteps or Kevin's footsteps. Um, and, you know, it was, that was devastating, but I actually still pulled it together one more time. And that's when I was able to get the ride with Griffin. You know, and we went to Beach Ridge, first race out. I finished second in the heat race. And at the time they had semi features. So the top three out of each heat and I go out there and Robbie's in front of me, Dale Shaw's behind me and I'm running decent, but I ended up um, spinning out in the, in that uh, semi feature. And I got hit by everybody front rear, and the car that videos on YouTube, Blair. Plate. I'm sorry
0: to, I'm sorry to tell you, but that video is on YouTube.
2: <laughs> so they put that car back together and we went to the milk bowl and I go out in time trials and I was actually third fastest forever. And then Dion went out and ran one lap, but had an issue. So he came back in and then they let him go out and do one more lap. And he ended up being uh, third and I ended up getting pushed back to fourth. But if you think about it, it was, Dave Dion, Blair Bissett, Robbie Crouch, Randy McDonald, Junior Hanley, you know, and I'm like, you know, there I am. And um, I just didn't pull it all together. So I kind of feel like I haven't, I never really got my shot. That's the other part that keeps me motivated. It keeps me wanting to build a car that's competitive and um, so I don't go to a race thinking I'm not going to win. I go to a race thinking I'm going to be competitive and surprise people of being so, competitive.
0: And you mentioned the the late models. You, you saw the writing on the wall with the pro stocks. They went away after 95. And that's when we started seeing more of you at Thunder Road on Thursday nights. And again, you mentioned it um, a third and a fifth. And I don't know if they were back-to-back weeks, but they were very close together. They were, you know, you were, you were very competitive, not, it wasn't a fluke. You were, you were there.
2: Yeah. And I had a good car. In fact, that was the car that BD won the milk the time trials with in his second year. In fact I bought both those cars at one time the one that he won the milk bowl with and the following year he had a a new distance car that I ended up buying from him and so you know it was it was a good car and I when I converted it over it in fact <laughs> there was a race that I could have won and should have won and there was, I don't know, it was 20 laps in or 30 laps in. It was only a 50 lap race, but, um, I was in the lead and I didn't start in the lead either. I had worked. I, I went up and, and took the lead. And I think his name was Monty something. I can't remember what his name was. Lemaire. Monty Lemaire. That's those was. Guy. Yeah. So anyway, we had a restart and, uh, he hit me and ended up breaking my tie rod in. So took me out of the race. And after the race, I go, why did you hit me? And he goes, cause you were faster than me. Oh, I go, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But I could have won that race. And then, then actually in 95 when I first put that car together, it had a, um, a manual rack in it. It didn't have power steering. But I still had the caster setting because today's cars have caster that when you turn the wheel, you're lifting up. You're pushing the left front end of the ground, literally lifting it up. So as you turn the wheel, it gets harder. So there was a, a, a lay model race where at the time Phil Craddock was in it, but he was leading. And I followed him for like 20, 30 laps because I, I was just being patient because I knew I could get by him when I wanted to. So I finally go by him, take the lead, and I'm roaming around. This is it. This is the one I'm going to win. This was 95, and my arms gave out on me because of my manual box. (laughs) And um, I believe, trying to think of his name. The guy that was from St. Johnsbury, his son just did that deal with, uh, he's a crew chief guy for, the five car.
0: Oh, uh, Kendall
2: Lejeune. Yeah. Kendall Lejeune that. won that race, but I was going to win that race if I didn't have my power or if I didn't have that setup. or, I mean, I, I did it. I mean, I was late in the race, drove by him, was ready to, so I had some opportunities to win a race and. Um, did it
1: make it easier being like at Thunder Road every week to where you're not traveling and doing different tracks all the time. And you can kind of hone in and work on just getting the car right for this one track and maybe get some local help.
2: Yeah, that, that was helpful. Um, You know, and then at the time too, you know, I had, you know, kids, (laughs) teenagers, you know what that's like. I mean, it was always a balance between their games and events and, but I was always there. So, I roundabout way put all my stuff kind of off, but it's still, you know, there. I've always had a car. I've always had a chassis. It's kind of like a pacifier that I kind of need to have. And it's, uh, you know, overall, I, I think I've done well with what I have. And I still am not done. I mean, I have a car that I'm preparing right now. And I hope to run, you know, this year with
1: did any of your kids show interest in racing or was they also like, no dad, you can go do it yourself. I'll
2: play mm-hmm. basketball I, over here. I had hoped to, but none of them got, none of them bit it. No, they all were into their own thing. My, my oldest actually went and practiced at Groveton once and he drove the car. Um, but other than that, you know, they actually I take that back when, when my oldest was old enough to go into the pits, you know, I kept saying I was going to raise my pit crew. He went with me, um, for some races. Um, but you know, they, they just didn't, they just weren't that interested. They had their own things they wanted to do and I didn't push it. Um, you know, it, it, so really I just sort of maintained, you know, if you think about I've raced pretty much every year, except for just a couple of years.
1: Let's take a quick break in our conversation and tell you that today's podcast is brought to you in part by Elite Designs. They're here to work for you. Whether you're starting a new business, looking to change the image of an existing business, or expanding the branding that you already have. Logo design, decals and stickers, vehicle lettering, including door logos, partial wraps and full wraps, Banners, signs, motorsports, installations, you name it. They will work with you one-on-one to take your vision and make it a reality. Visit the Facebook page at Elite Designs to view past and present projects. And when you're ready to go, you can contact Bobby Tharian at Elite Designs 5 x at gmail.com or call or text 802-355-7735. New England
0: weather is unpredictable and when the power goes out, you'll need a backup plan. That's why you should call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service in Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. Bushy's is the number one Briggs & Stratton dealer in the state of Vermont and they'll help you every step of the way from sales and installation of Kohler and Briggs & Stratton home standby propane generators to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators from 10 kilowatts to 200. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service has been in business for 10 years and they cover all of Vermont, New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. If If you need a backup plan, call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Plus, you know, you can always talk racing with Ben because he's won a lot more races than I ever have. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. Berry Tile and and Morrison-Clark Incorporated have got you covered, literally. They're your number one stop in central Vermont for all types of flooring, whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, indoor or outdoor, for your home or your business.
1: Berry Tile staff are qualified installers who can offer you real-world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. But you don't need our endorsement. They've been family-owned and operated since 1972, which means they're celebrating 50 years in business in 2022, and that stands for itself. And hey, not only are they great at what they do, they're racers, too. You
0: got it, man. Check out Barry Tiles' Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. You can call them the old-fashioned way, 802-476-0912, or just stop into the showroom, 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont. Make sure that you tell them that the guys at Uncommon
1: Deeds sent you. Thanks to all our sponsors who help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Now, back to our show.
0: One of the great upsets in Thunder Road history was when Mike Purdue won a late model oh, yeah. and you were very much part of that. And
2: it was my, my car.
0: yeah, I know that. And I remember before the season started, cause Mike actually helped me out that year with my street stock. He was one of my sponsors. So I kind of got to know you guys a little bit better. And, um, I remember hearing at the beginning of the season, Tom Curley said, Something to I don't even remember who he was talking to, but you were nowhere within earshot. And he said, I'm watching the 43 because he's got one of the best chassis guys in the business. And he's talking about you. And whoever it was was kind of (laughs) like okay. And then you guys started being competitive with a old, old race car. And by God, you won a feature. It, It was it was one of the greatest upset wins in the tracks history. And, uh, just talk about that night. Cause I, am sure that that's something that stands out for you. Well,
2: well, that was a great day. Um, there's a little pre story to that first though. And that goes along with what we were talking about. It was me trying to put a team together where, you know, I had the support and I had the help and we had the cars. So I wanted to work with Mike and we actually had a brand new, um, well, it was a car that we got from Dudo. I think it was a left hand. It was a brand new left-hander car. And then we had this older distance car. And at the time I was the IT director at VTC and I put the deal together to have two cars. I was going to run the tour races and Mike was going to run the local Thursday night races. Didn't you have Bolton and Valley turn, sponsor the
0: car or something? What's that? Didn't you have Bolton Valley sponsoring the car?
2: We had uh, a radio station and a wire company, and that was Mike. Mike Mike, and I worked together to, to, to build a team, and we worked on it. We're uh, um, huh, next to the RV place there in East Montpelier. That's where he used to have his warehouse for his snack company that he had. Yeah, um, yep. It's where there's a racer now, number 10. Yeah. Josh Demers is there. Thank you. (laughs) I'm showing how much I don't remember, (laughs) but, um, anyway, we worked on the cars there and, um, we, I prepared, we had, we got a new, the idea was we were gonna, um, new left-hander, you know, he had people, we had the place, we had a couple sponsors. We're going to put this thing together. And, um, I went to the first tour race and I didn't qualify for, it. and there's a little bit before I actually lost my job at VTC and um, which was important because I needed to take care of my family and everything. And I had all these plans, um, but I went to the first two races didn't qualify for either one of them. And, you know, I had made that agreement with Mike that he could run a, and it was my car the Thursday night stuff. So even though I couldn't do the, I had to stop running the tour because of the environment there, but he uh, we went and I fulfilled my obligation with him and worked with him. And we ended up winning a race that, that year. So that was very rewarding except is that the win that I didn't have, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm being selfish, but you know, it, was that a win that I could have maybe had? I'm not saying it was, but it, you know, it's in the back of your head. And again, that's what keeps me motivated to keep going. And you know, obviously, I kept going because I ended up winning a race. And you know, I'd love to have uh, a good finish in a in a late model, either I mean White Mountain or Thunder Road. Um, I'm I'm still have aspirations I still want to do it um, because I kind of feel like I haven't fulfilled I haven't checked all the boxes that I need to for myself would I'm still hungry
1: would a win in 2022 mean as much if not more than maybe that first win did
2: I think it'd be it would have to be a major upset it would be yeah it'd be huge I mean and if I could put all the pieces together, I think I'm capable of winning Um, and it would be a real culmination to, to my, you know, let me, let me ask you this.
0: Would you, would you rather have a season's worth of, I don't know, 12th place finishes, but you knock off a win one night, or would you rather be a eighth, you know, fifth, fourth, fifth, eighth place guy consistently every week, um, knowing that you've got a chance to win, even if you don't get the win during the season, what, what would you rather, what scenario would you ra- rather be in?
2: Well, realistically, you need to be that top five regular. If you're going to win on the other hand, if you play this system, I mean, the the reason I won the race in 2012 was because the whole year before that, I, Went and earned my handicap, and I started on the pole. Right? I mean, you got to uh, someone's got to start on the pole, <laughs> you know. And um, I, I, if I really wanted to win a late model race, I would have to put the program together where I had those people, and I had the the resources. And you have to run every week, and you have to get comfortable running the car, and then you get that opportunity. You know, it, you know, your luck is when opportunity and preparation meet, right? Then you can win that race. So I would love to do that. and But, you know, there's also the age thing. I'm, I'm 61 now. You know, I'm not 16 anymore. So it's harder to go out there and work on the car and do stuff. But um, I'd love that opportunity you know, it's, but it's still hard. I mean, I have a a, a new family now and they all have issues, not issues, but they have events and I balance it out. So that's why I kind of go when I can, but I also like to go, I mean, the part about the milk bowl and the time trial, it's, you know, it's not a handicap start. It's you earn where you start. Um, In fact, i You know, that time in the pro stock when I qualified fourth, there was a tiger one where I qualified second, you know, um, the year I won, I had some problem with the car and I still qualified eighth with it. I mean, it's, it's building a competitive car, being out there. And sometimes I've had the best view of the race. I have the best view of the race than anybody. Right. Um, You know, because I'm right there. And obviously I don't want to be in the way. And I try not to be, but I'm I get the opportunities to be out there and hear that motor start up and I get made fun of for making that noise, but I make that noise a lot where the motor turns over and then it goes, you know, I don't want to do it here. Come on, Blair, do it. There's a video of me at, at Thunder Road in a car that Ricky Roberts has showed me and made fun of me, but it's the motor turns over cause it kind of has a lag, right? So it goes, uh-uh-uh, you know, and then it revs and that's what I like. That's what gets me going. And I, you know, I, I do it a lot. So people make fun of me over it, but that's, you know, the, I can set the timing by my ear on a motor because of that too. Right. Um, how did the uh how did the tiger ride come about? Well, um Clem had been running and not doing as well as he I think he could have. So I I didn't really know Clem until um I don't know, it must have been around oh nine, oh ten, some ten but I went and I said, Hey, Clem, I think I can help you by setting up his car. And he ended up um, selling the car to, to Hess. Um, it was a new Chuck Beattie car, good, a very nice car. And when he sold it to Hess, Hess had gave me the opportunity to drive that car. So in 2011, I drove that car, um, went through it and, I think I won countless heat races. I mean, yeah, almost every yeah. single one. I, mean, I remember I, that. And I had lots of top fives, lots of top tens, but never the win. That was 2011. And and just before that, actually, I had gone down to um, – Clem and I went to New Smyrna, but on the way back, we stopped and saw Tuna Gallison, Dean's son – or not Dean, but uh, brother. Dean's brother. Yep. and. Jim's son. He's Jim Gallison Jr., but everybody calls him Tuna. Anyway, we stopped there, and um, during that time period, he we made a. I I went back down and I was able to practice his um, call it super late model, um, at hickory previous to that 2000, that 2011 year. And I went down there with some motor parts and help them put his motor together. And in, in return, I got to, you know, practice his car at, at Hickory. So I've been at Hickory and, uh, and that was fun, but stepping back from a super late model into a tiger, I felt like a Superman, right? I mean, it was like the car would just would go and I actually ran pretty well, you know, except that one night I had third <laughs> and I, my carburetor was deemed illegal because because it was, so um, I guess I don't remember that. But well, I finished third getting another car from Hess, which is the one that uh, Jason Corliss ran. Okay. And the year before, I think he finished well in the Milk Bowl with it, um, second or third. Yeah. And it was a good car, and we put all my stuff off of, onto that car, and I went out and finished third. Anyway, that carburetor didn't make me go any faster. I mean, Thunder Road is not a motor track. Um, I had was borrowing another carburetor and they needed it back and I didn't have anything else to run. But um, I ended up finishing third, but then I was disqualified because of the carburetor. And ironically, you know, when they tech a, a, you know, equipment, the inspector keeps the equipment. So I had a $1,000 carburetor taken away from me <laughs> and I believe uh, Dean gave it to his brother, Tuna, because <laughs> one so, kind of knighted me about that. But he, having
0: 20 years of, of not winning, but taking small victories out of situations, do you count that night as a small victory or do you think of damn that one got away
2: you know what i mean third was you know okay i mean i it really didn't bother me that you know that was taken away because i know you know i ran a decent race i had run good in the other car um i was able to take the same setup in a that tiger car because i had the setup i had i could drive off like crazy i mean no matter where I went in, I could punch the gas and come out. And I, and I did it in three different cars. Um, And we went to Plattsburgh for a hundred lap show and I was running decent in an older how car that was uh, our B D car. That was Eric Johnson's car. And um, we ran good there. And I ended up having a little altercation with, with Martin, Mike Martin. And, but it's still, it was competitive. It ran fast. Um, You know, the, the, the one that we got from Clem um, was fast. I won like, I must've been seven or eight heat races Um, all like every week I won the heat race. And that parlayed into my win in 2012 and i actually led the points for a while too because after the second race i was still point leader um and my I, my son had a an issue that needed attention i ended up having to stop that year and you know i've always put my family ahead of racing and but i've also not ever been able to let racing go entirely um, but because of those little victories. I mean, I, I was, I didn't really mention it earlier, but back, I kind of remember what year is the year that Earnhardt won that race in, in Canada. I was in that race.
0: Okay. You go. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, um, so I went to that race and it was a Saturday, Sunday show, but Bobby Allison was in that race. Buddy Baker was in that race and Dale Earnhardt was in that race. And, um, so Saturday I had problems with my motor The head gasket burnt. So I'm pulling the head off, fixing it. And I missed the driver's meeting on, on Saturday. So um, Sunday morning um, they had a, an, another pit meeting. <laughs> so over the loudspeaker, they called Bobby Allison, Buddy Baker, Dale Earnhardt, Blair Bissett, come to the pit tower for the pit meeting. So I got to have that pit meeting with those guys and I chatted with them and I, you know, was a roundabout way, one of them. And, um, you know, so those are the the things that I take though. Those, that was a victory for me, you know, to be in that event, um, and race with them. And, you know, I can say I raced with Bobby Allison, Buddy Baker and Dale Earnhardt, and I've also raced with Bobby and Beaver and Cabana and, even today's drivers, right? And back then when I ran the Tiger car, it was Jason Corliss and Pelkey and, and, uh, you know, they're still there. I, if you think about it, I've raced against decades of, of people, you know, with Clem. And so, you know, I've, I think I've had, I've done, I wouldn't really change a lot other than I wish I had just a little bit better luck or, you know, if, you know, things could have been, but overall it's been, you know, a great experience that I'll I'm grateful to have had the opportunities to do it. So
1: that unique perspective and there's not a long list of people who, like you said, can go kind of generation to generation and have raced against, you know, three or four different generations. I mean, you and Joey LaCare and Clem, there's not, that list isn't huge.
0: You've raced against three generations of LaCares, in fact.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) literally. Uh, So it gives you that unique perspective and, Are you able to kind of compare generations or because everyone kind of naturally goes to where they started or what they remember. I mean, Justin and I talk about it all the time where, you know, we look back and like, I look glowingly at the early nineties because I was five and six years old watching my uncle race. So that, seems like the greatest against
2: him, too, right, yeah,
1: <laughs> that seems like the greatest time there ever was for me, and you know obviously getting older and calling races y adds a different perspective for me, which is helpful, but do you take value and be able to see and kind of compare like ooh, compare a you know Jason Corliss to a Robbie Crouch or you know those type of comparisons?
2: I can't say that I've really done the comparison of them, but I have the respect for them. You know, Robbie is probably, I'd say, one of the, the best drivers ever and I think could have easily raced down south if he had, you know, the right opportunities or whatever, smooth, the same The same with Jason. But I'd, I'd, what is cool for me is if I walk by Ken Squire, he'll say, hi, Blair, right? Moody, you know, I've, I've touched, I, I've, I know, you know, just a lot of people that it's acknowledgement just to say, hey, I mean, I raced with Stub Fadden. I know Stub. I mean, I knew Stub Fadden and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's satisfaction in that. I mean, I remember I know this was probably maybe 10 years ago but you know um Stubbs son <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on his name right now Alvin Alvin hey Blair how you doing you know it's like all these connections that I've had when I just walk through the pits you know and um, it's that's what's rewarding is knowing that your your friends or you know these people and from generation to generation, right? I mean, I don't really know Scott Dragon that well, but you know, I know Bobby pretty well, if, and Beaver and um, I Cabana. I mean, he used to call me my friend, you know. And uh, it's that's what's rewarding is those pieces that across you know, decades really. So um. Blair,
0: when you won that feature in 2012, did you get a response from, from those guys? I mean, did you hear from any of the guys that you raced with back in the eighties or whatever? I mean, there had to have been some, (laughs) some great joy. I feel like we haven't even talked about that win. you know uh, you know what it meant to you, what it felt for you, but did you hear from any of those guys?
2: I can't say that I heard direct like they called me up and te- or texted me but you know everywhere I went it was an acknowledgement of of you know yeah I finally did it you know and um I have a little story about that is unfortunately you know I gave Tom a big bear hug. Oh I saw it I, I know. I know. <laughs> I was like oh no. Blair, you almost killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I killed Tom. Poor Darla. Um, but, uh,
0: you picked him right up off the ground.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, I did.
0: This was, I mean, I don't think anybody knew at the time how ill he was. No, we um, didn't. but he was, you know, really like right in the diagnosis stage of COPD and yeah, just before yeah. the oxygen and
1: yeah, oh just
2: say fragile. It wasn't good. <laughs> Tom and I really actually had a great, I mean, he used to call me Blair Blair. What are we going to do with you? Like he was always. Darla he called was, you baby he was a, blur. What's that?
0: Darla called you baby blur. I don't know well, if you know that, but that's that's what she referred to you as in the because you have a baby face.
2: Yeah, well, Darla and I always had a. We went to Harwood together way back, you know, like yeah. nineteen seventy something. Um, I went to Harwood seventh and eighth grade, and we were in the same team. But you know, I've always respected that. Waterbury connection and you know i i did a little <laughs> my mother knew ken a little bit as well that's all i'm going to say about that part oh no for now
1: all right <laughs> then well
2: Blair, <laughs> where, where is the show going Blair? <laughs> before
1: uh let's, i'm going to steer a different way before we get to our Barry tile quick hitters, I would be remiss not to ask what your experience was like running uh, a race for CA crouch.
2: Wow. I wish he was still around, man. He, uh, I was right on the CA and I kind of came from the same mold. Like I'd get parts that no one else wanted and massage it, fix it, maintain it. And that's exactly what CA did, and I I actually drove his car at, at Loudon, um, the old circle track that they had there, not the not the uh, Briar yeah. Road course, but they had a little circle track as well. I drove his car there, um, and he was actually building me a motor. I had brought him some pieces and parts, and um, you know, and then they, unfortunately he passed away. And, um, so I don't know where that would have gone, but CA and I were, we weren't buddy, buddy, but he was, um, I don't know. He, we saw the same things in each other. I think is what it was. And he was helping me and, um, uh, if he didn't pass away, I don't know where that would have gone, but that that
0: must've been one of his very last races. Um, before I went. think
2: it, I, I remember cause I had some motor parts that I had brought to him and he was helping me put a motor together, but I never, um, we never got to fulfill that piece. That's when they had that shop over in Georgia. Um, but yeah, that was sad. You know, it was uh, you know, it's a it's a family. You know, I kind of. I mean, I was a little bit afar, but it was also, like like I said, when at that time Alvin come came up to me and and uh, you know, it's there's some really good people, and I've been involved with some really good people and you know, I'm, again, fortunate to have had the opportunities and the experience with them. It's, so, and I'm kind of, you know, in looking back on it right now, because of this conversation, you know, really has been fun, (laughs) you know, and, and I'm not done. I'm optimistic and I, like, I've been working on another car and, and, We'll see what happens.
1: All right, time for our Barry Tile quick hitters. And I'm interested in your answer because I feel like you're going to give me a good one, which isn't necessarily always the case with this question. But if you could have run anyone else's car or could in the present time, whose car would you have wanted to drive for a night?
2: Uh, I'd have to be the RPM car, you know. Rick and um, especially when Andrew was there, um, they just, you know, had it all figured out. Um, he probably let me drive the car if I didn't owe him money on the six hundred two still. But <laughs> I'm just throwing. It. Uh, but, okay. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Blair. Oh um
0: <laughs> my question, and maybe this will be a good answer too. What's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car?
2: Oh man, that's not fair. Um do I have to pick one?
0: No. Oh, give all the ones you want. I
2: don't care. No, I'm kidding. I I'm trying to um I don't remember having like, you know, a Kevin LePage moment, but, uh, (laughs) you know, I think if you ask the stands and then people would probably come up with a few things, but, um, you know, I, I always, I always thought I, I always drove with respect for other people. I always wanted to, um, you know, treat them the way I was treated. Um, So it does make me think of one incident. Um, Ricky Roberts and I were in a, it was a late model race and he, he hit me, turned me around. And I don't remember my car got destroyed. I mean, I was out for weeks. And the first thing I do when I come back is go take him out. So that was pretty dumb. But then I found out afterwards is that he didn't hit me on purpose. Joey LaCare hit him, which hit him into me. So, so there you go. I'm, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll use that one. as the. So same.
0: now was this before or after you drove his car at Lee?
2: I was well before this was back in the, the 90 time okay. frame. Like okay. 95, 96, somewhere around there.
0: So, time heals all
2: dumb wounds. Actually, Ricky and I are pretty good friends now. Um, you know, his car, the car that I have, that I bought from him. And uh, it seems like Ricky, Eric Johnson, and I have this thing where we just rotate cars among each other, <laughs> pieces and parts. And you could throw Jerry Lesage in there too, because Ricky will get stuff from Jerry Lesage and then, um, but the car I have now is the car that Ricky won with in 2017. So it's, it's actually a good car. It has, the chassis is uh, it's got the raised cross member and the left side rail. And um, I actually have a new 602 right now that, you know, it's, it's a good car. I think it'll be competitive. I hope it'll be competitive.
1: All right, uh, finally, Blair, tell us what's the best race you ever saw that you weren't driving in?
2: Can it be after the fact? Sure.
1: Yeah, we've actually
0: had somebody answer that question that way.
2: I didn't realize it, but um, in 91, when uh, um, Dan Beattie won the Milk Bowl, you know, he won the pole, which, okay, yay, he won that first segment, and then afterwards, I saw the replay of that race on YouTube, and uh, not that long ago, a couple months ago, and that third segment with the race with him and um, Junior Hanley and Dion, any one of them would have won, whoever finished ahead, and that third segment was probably the best race that I've ever seen. And then to have, you know, the hometown kid win it over those two was amazing. Um, Now this is a little side note (laughs) that I found out recently. What I didn't realize is, um, you know, like me, sometimes you go to the milk bowl, you're, you're an alternate. So you don't qualify for the actual first segment, but you get in if people aren't able to go into the second or third segment. So Jerry Lasage was in that situation in that very race. And I didn't realize this. And he was actually a lap down. um, And he was either second or fourth. And Dan was going to start right behind him. And I'm thinking, Jerry, what are you doing? I mean, this is me watching the YouTube thing, because normally, you know, if you're a lap car, you don't want to be involved in that. You know, you know, go to the rear, get out of the way, do something. And, you know, they started the race, and Jerry did pull up out of the way. Uh, and that helped Beatty, because he went by the two inside cars, and that kept the other guys behind him. And... Um, I was, I didn't know what was going on there. (laughs) I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me that, that Jerry would. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at Jerry's shop and apparently Jerry and Beatty's guys got on the radio and got Jerry to do that for him. (laughs) So I love it. But anyway, I love it. That's an inside now. Okay, so but
0: did you ever find yourself in that kind of a situation?
2: You know, I where where somebody comes
0: on the radio and says, "Hey, Blair, you know, we got a tire for you if you can."
2: Um, no, because I never had radios. (laughs) Right. Maybe you just need to
1: leave a headset up on the rail in the spotters (laughs) area.
2: If anybody needs him, when I went to Smyrna, I had to buy radios. They would not let me go out and race without radios. So, so I had radios, but you know, who was on the other end? Tom Clem. Clem.
1: Jesus.
0: <laughs> and he's probably still trying to figure out how to work the button.
2: Well, great guy. I mean, I, I, Clem is a handful. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> keep up with him. I don't know how he was when he was 20 years old, but at, 70 years old 80 years old it's hard to keep up with them with that red
0: don't... with that red hat with the big dollar sign on it
2: <laughs> he is a character <laughs> um he but anyway we won't get into any of those stories <laughs> it was fun
0: uh blair i don't know what the rest of your career looks like but you know that i'm pulling for you and i i think you've known that for a while um and I think that there's a lot more people pulling for you than you realize. Um, I love a good underdog and and I know I'm not the only one and whatever your experience is, I hope you enjoy it.
2: No, it's been awesome. I really appreciate you, you know, listening and um, or talking and listening, but I, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm kind of a, a procrastinator, right? So, but, Procrastinators, at least for me, they always get it done at the end. So if I win a race, procrastinators rule because they get it done at the end. All right, man. Alrighty. I do I wouldn't mind really thinking a couple of people that Eric Johnson, Barney McRae Clem, those guys through the years. All right, buddy. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. You'll be out there hearing the motor go, uh, uh, uh-uh, Thanks again to Blair
1: Bassett. Like we said, that was a fun conversation for us that, to some, is outside of our usual, but something where we want to go more in that direction on occasion with you know the underdog with the guy who's there every week who's not necessarily ever winning
0: yeah they deserve it they deserve to be recognized and talked about and and heard most importantly um yeah i like that one
1: speaking of underdog story justin you have been on your own for 4 days you want
0: to talk about a grind.
1: And you have needed to feed yourself for four days. It's terrible. You yeah. make it through. You, we it are, we're recording this on Monday night this week, and Justin's gals return home tomorrow.
0: Yeah, they've been in Ohio since Friday. So uh, I've been fending for myself. But Linda stock the fridge with leftovers. There's a pan of lasagna that she left for me and it's about half gone. Um, and I'm going to dip into it again tonight. As soon as we're done here, oh my God, it's almost 10 30. Well, I better start eating. Um, but yeah, there's been a few times where I'm just kind of floating through this house. Just not really sure of which room to walk in or where I need to be. Cause there's, <laughs> there's nobody smarter than me here because I'm the only, I'm the only person here and I don't know what to do with myself. I had a honeydew list, and I was trying to button everything up tonight. Recording, and uh, we just we finally got our friggin' remodel done in our bathroom just a week ago. And I was trying to put the toilet paper holder up, and the drywall is not as complete as it was when I started. <laughs> Linda would have done a fine job. I put a quarter-sized hole in the friggin' wall.
1: They have like the little anchor things to put in. I, that's what did it. I I I know.
0: And that's what pushed through it. Like uh, The bastard sets you up for failure because the little bracket thing with the screw holes, screw holes are too close together. And I knew I had to use those little plastic anchory things. But like you drill the hole and you push the first one in and then the second hole is too close and the hole. Frickin' drywall collapses so now i've got my goddamn thumb through the wall just and then i tried to move it over a little bit and of course that didn't work it just made it worse so
1: so oh, i'm
0: a failure man
1: uh getting the putty out tonight <laughs> is it, is that hole or have you let linda know that you put a hole
0: in the oh, wall Oh, i let her know because she it's it's right where she wanted the toilet paper holder and i said it was a bad pl- place for it we need a little toilet paper holder stand. That's not part of the wall because the wall is too far away. And I don't want to turn 180 degrees to grab some shit tickets and just, I was against it from the start. I knew I was going to mess it up and I did it. (laughs) Now I'm mad at myself.
1: Not going to lie. I've recently, like within the last couple months we had to replace ours and I did it quite successfully. Uh, Make sure you were following us. On all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds podcast on the Instagram, <coughs> the Instagram you can also send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. gmail dot com. Didn't someone send us a message giving you crap about your your gusto for the Gmail has gone down? Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: Matt, I heard you
1: uh and but all when, of when
0: blair when Blair did that engine sound i was like oh that's how i get out of this that's how i spice
1: up the instagram you left the gmail a little bland but it's all right the instagram was spiced up yeah all of those socials are where you can get a hold of us to get your uncommon media merch or uncommon merch. deeds
0: merch listen it and if you want
1: decals we got decals baby Send them your way. Also, when you buy merchandise, you get get a decal in with your merchandise. And free shipping. Free shipping. Not free for us.
0: Nope. I overwhelmed the Virgin's post office last week. I'm telling you, everything just grinded to a halt (laughs) because of you, our faithful listeners of the Uncommon Deeds podcast. Nothing, Nothing to do with the there. size
1: of <laughs> size of town or post office. Who?
0: I spent forty five minutes. I get a half an hour for lunch. I, I was in the post office alone for forty five minutes. Uh, it was a thing. So let's, I appreciate well, it. Let's
1: overwhelm the post office in Virgins one more time
0: <laughs> this month. I went. I went to Virgins because I figured they could handle it because it's you know there's thousands of people that live there. I didn't want to go to Bridport's post office where there's, I have never been in there, but I imagine that the person that's there is probably just watching Golden Girls most of the day.
1: So buy our merch. (laughs) That's
0: what we're telling you.
1: So let's all get along. (laughs) Let's all be nice to people. And let's all wear Uncommon Deeds merchandise. Right. Thanks everybody for... (laughs) For downloading and listening, for being the shepherds oh. that are bringing us to the promised land, building our empire brick by brick, buying our merchandise to show the loyalty to your leaders to spread because we we do not build. An empire to be followers? No, no. We build an empire to rule. So show your loyalty to the rulers. Because merchandise is the beginning. But it is not the end. There will be more. And we will need you to follow and propel us to the heavens. Are you with us? That's right. We're going places. I just
0: watched Children of the Corn the other day. This is too similar to that.
1: Well, okay. <laughs> we could change up the tone. <laughs> Lord Thomas. We have a long time. Way to go. And this, my friends, is only the beginning. Oh my God, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Uncommon Deeds podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.
2: All hail, Lord Thomas.